Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to the Everybody Counts podcast. Tonight, we are talking about the series finale of Bosch on Amazon Prime. It's episode eight of season seven, the final season of Bosch. And we're going to go through how we feel about the episode, things we liked, questions we have, and more with Pete. I'm here with Pete tonight. How are you, what are you going by tonight, Pete? Officer Pete, Pete from the street, little podcast boy, what? Well, you know, since that guy Jay's not here again, I'm yeah. definitely going with Officer Pete. Okay. All right. It's a little bit of commanding presence. There you go. I like That's it. Right. All right. Good deal. Yes, we're missing uh, Jay tonight, but we've already been talking about some other um, episodes we can do, even though the season's over. And so we'll, we'll have him back for some fun stuff with that. I want to give a little shout out to our, our buddy, Mike Martini, Bosch Trivia Guy. Uh, for helping us out this season for several episodes that was a lot of fun and tell him how cool we think it is that he went out to LA this past week and had some great visits at different locations and even a set visit and there's a lot of great photos out on uh, the Bosch Pit Facebook group where he talks about what things were like and and what he did so go out there and enjoy that uh, vicariously so also on the podcast we have another interview for you this week this episode it's with tom bernardo who has done so many different jobs on the set of bosch from writing to uh producing he's been he's acted on the show as agent needy with the fbi and some great content in this interview always great to hear from tom and what i'm super excited about is for everyone to get to hear the origin story of FBI agent Needy and how he got that name. It's a really cool story. I cracked up and I can't wait for you guys to hear about it too. Well, let's get into the episode. Now, how much harder would this be for you, Officer Pete, if we didn't know there was a spinoff? How much harder would it be talking about this series finale? So here's my deal about that. I believe that it's it's one of those bittersweet situations because even though you know we're getting a spinoff, I'm still losing you know, a show that has a past and a history. We're not necessarily sure that they're going to bring back all these history, you know, recalls and everything from Bosch. So we don't know what we're going to get as far as that's concerned. So I'm, I am upset of losing Bosch in general. And I'm, I'm also upset that some of my, some of our main characters might not make it to the spinoff either. Sure. Yeah. So, we, so we're yeah. saying goodbye to some people. We might not exactly. even know it. Yeah. Like what happens if Jay Edgar doesn't make it to the spinoff? This is right. his last episode. Yeah. So for me, yeah. I didn't I didn't take nothing for granted and just assume we're going to see everybody on the next on the spinoff. Right. So I, I really just sat down and enjoyed this, absorbed it for what it's worth. It was kind of sad. I got kind of mad. I mean, you could imagine what part I got mad about Antonio. <laughs> Antonio. But um, yeah, you know, there's a couple of good things, a couple of bad things for me personally. But at the end of the day, I mean, how do you not send off Bosch in that way? Yeah. And I just want to say that it looked like Irvin was kind of the bad guy at the end. And it I did, kind of called it, that. It did kind of feel that way to me as well. Called it two well, seasons gonna... ago, people. <laughs> you did. You did call that. All right. Well, let's get right into the episode. We start out with some time with Jay Edgar. He's sitting outside of Jacques Avril's house. It's for sale. And he's looking good, Pete. I got to be honest. I had no idea that was Jacques Avril's house. <laughs> You know, he's this, been he's been going there throughout the season. I know, but full disclosure, <laughs> I was watching the episode like three times already now, reviewing it, analyzing it, looking for trivia. And I honestly didn't put it together. If I would have realized it, I would have asked for the address of the house on the trivia question. Um, but for real, yes, I think that's that's another um, symbol now that I know that that happened. 
And I was wondering why they just had him like staking out a place. I thought maybe it was like somewhere where Pena's cousin might be or something. Well, it's kind of uh, weird because it was during the day. You know, he's been yeah, there I'm a so lot used to seeing the, with the with the two street lights and the one that's lighter underneath yeah. his house. Like yeah. that's how I always recognized it because he had the mm-hmm. lighter the lighter light, which was them telling you like focus here. It's you know it's right. the trick. So um. Yeah, no, um, I, I I, mean, it's just him putting it behind them, I assume. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, he, so, yeah. he, he looked great. I mean, his tie was tied nice and neatly. You know, he had that great J. Edgar swagger look with his clothes. He was drinking some coffee. He was up early. I mean, it was early in the day and he was already up. Well, he has you know? been running every morning. That's true. That's and then true. he was finally talking to people about what happened. And mm-hmm. he told Harry, you know, so like he's I think he's officially over it at this point. Yeah, I, I, I kind of felt like that scene showed us a lot in that regard. That's how I took it anyway. I also feel like he felt guilty, kind of like, is he, you know, questioning his morals and his mm-hmm. ethics? And I think yeah. um, after talking to some people, he realized that this is his job. Yeah. And, you know, even if it was questionable, the guy, you know, we don't know when we weren't really there, so we can't judge either. Right. But I think he's he's dealt with it in his mind. He's mm-hmm. over it. He's, he's moving on. Gonna, yeah, he's not going to be sloppy anymore. He's, mm-hmm. he's good to go. I mean. We see how the episode progresses. He's moving on up. So, yeah, 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 yeah. He, he looks good. But it's interesting. He's listening on the radio. There's a vote up to extend the Chiefs for a second term. And uh, he, that sort of catches um, his interest. And then we'll hear a little bit more about the outcome of that shortly. And then so we actually get a glimpse into the boardroom, the police commissioner's vote on whether they're going to vote yes or no to Irving getting another five years as police chief. And it's tied in the the deciding vote is going to come from Nestor Delgado, you know, and he's the one who who was uh, deputy chief and wanted to be chief. Seems like Mayor Lopez handpicked him to come onto the commissioner's board to keep Irving from going forward. But Pete, how does Nestor Delgado vote? He votes yes. That's right. Extend it. Had a second term for Chief Irving. And so Scott Anderson is, is there in the room taking his notes and he, he kind of looks up and takes him by surprise. And then when Jerry gets to the station, he asks if Harry's heard about it. And they're both just kind of like, what happened? How did, you know, it's, it's very mysterious. But of course we know, but let's move on to Collins talking to Harry. He's cleaning up a mess from his car. That's pretty gross, right? I thought it was cool. Thank God Collins <laughs> got to clean up puke. He should be cleaning up puke every day as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Why? Why should he be cleaning up puke? Because dude's so cool. Oh, Listen, because I think he's handsome. He's a That's bad it. guy too, all right? <laughs> Collins, bad. Urban, bad. All right, who else do you like? They're bad. Antonio, bad. <laughs> Tom Good. Tom Good. Okay. <laughs> Always Tom Good. Okay. Yeah. He they they follow up on that phone call that Collins received the end of the last episode. And he, speaking of Tom Bernardo, FBI agent Needy, he tells Harry that that's who the call came from. He's part of the Joint Gang Task Force, and that they said that they have to leave Los Palmas alone. They have to you know step away and back down and stay away from the El Cholo restaurant. Hmm. So Harry, like, what about the restaurant? Collins shares that that's where the Las Palmas, they use a private room for their meetings and so forth. So, and and he does ask for sure, this, this is really coming from the top of the LAPD. And, you know, he says, yes, that's, that's what he was told. So they have that exchange, Bosch leaves, but now he knows about the restaurant. He has that in his ear, but he's been told to stay away. We shift over to Billet's house. She's talking to Anne. And says that maybe Grace should sue the department over everything that went down with Captain Cooper and Norris and Leonard. Billets isn't, she isn't sold on that idea because she likes her job. 
you know, she doesn't want to rock the boat. She wants to see change, but she doesn't think that suing them is necessarily the, the best outcome for her. So they have a disagreement about that. And then we shift over to a couple who is not arguing or disagreeing. We go over to Antonio and Maddie's apartment. Pete's shaking his head. <laughs> so we got the morning news on and we hear about the mysterious virus spreading from Wuhan, China. Call back to COVID. That's reminding us of the time frame that we're in on the story. I remember that. That was like, I remember watching that scene. I was yeah. like, oh, wow. Like they did bring it into the. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they pulled it in. Yeah. Antonio asked Maddie what she's doing. She's hovering sort of over the laptop, you know. He's being nosy, right, Pete? Antonio's being nosy. I thought he was going to ask her to check her, to ask her to check her phone to see if any other buddy was texting her. I, I mean, damn, intrusive much? I mean, back up, Antonio. Did I call Tom? <laughs> Got to call Tom. Well, Security. she tells him that she's looking at the looking at doing an application for the LAPD, and the, Antonio's surprised by this. But she's, you know, she talks about how his job makes a difference, and her dad, and she wants to do something, you know, that matters. And the first thing I thought when she said that line was, she's going to give Harry a heart attack on this episode. He's gonna, yeah. he's just gonna pass out and yeah. go down once she tells him this news because, you know, look what he's been through, and he knows, you know, but and yeah. And her too. She just had a little quick run in, you know, this season with, you know, oh yeah, big scare. Learning yeah. what it's about. And I thought I also thought it was I thought it was very interesting because they said that honey was like gonna be okay. Uh-huh. And I thought she was gonna go right back to working with honey and that was gonna lead us into the spin-off. So the fact right. that she's filling out a LAPD application mm-hmm. tells me that she changed her mind. Yeah. Yeah. Which leaves all kinds of open options for the spin-off. Right, right. Indeed it does. So, well, it's time for Antonio to head out, but they, yes, yes. <laughs> which Pete's very happy about. Uh, he's out of the, the screen at the moment. And we see Maddie click on a button and she does submit an application. So woo-hoo, it's happening. She's going for it. Well, I mean, even if she's offered it, she can still turn it down. She's not like, you know, mm-hmm. she mm-hmm. can leave anytime she wants. She's not exactly in a position where like, if, you know, if she has to move back in with Harry and doesn't like work and they want to go back to school, I'm sure that's not a problem. She's got options. She's got yeah. options, but she's good she to have seems, options. She seems pretty confident about it. So, but, I mean, she'll be great if she does it. Yep. So, all right. Well, Harry goes into Grace's office. She's on the phone. Apparently she and Anne are kind of apologizing because they were arguing earlier. And Harry talks to her about, you know, what do you think happened with this vote with, in Irving's favor? And she doesn't know anything more than he does. So they're still at a, at, a, at a loss there. Harry brings up the topic of the transfers to West Bureau. And he asks uh, Grace if he can sort of make a suggestion. He closes the door and apparently gives Grace his input. Uh, later, we see Harry meeting up with someone else. He's meeting up with Agent Reese again, even though he's been told to stay away from her too and stop bugging her for information. He's bugging her for information, but she has some. She has some intel. She tells Harry that there's a big meeting going down and that CIT, which stands for Critical Incident Team, is also going to be there. And Harry's like, hmm, that's usually for mass casualties when they have CIT there. But she says, well... It's also for mass arrests. Hmm. Gets the wheels turning. So then Harry, he's busy. He meets up with Scott Anderson, the LA Times. And he wants to know about Anderson's article in the morning about Irving getting a second term. And Bosch is telling him he thinks that the article is kind of weak, that there must be more to it. And he says, well, I had to get something out. You know, and they start talking about what may be going on, why Irving was able to seal the deal and get a second term. What, what else is behind that? So Harry tries to, to tell Anderson, if you give me some more information, I'll owe you one. Yeah, he you know? barters with him. Yeah, he barters with him. 
Definitely. And so Anderson goes on to tell him what he knows about there having been an investigation into the mayor. And he's like, okay, so now you owe me one. And Harry's like, well, no, we already knew that. What else is there? And he, he makes, he lets Harry know that there is an actual file, that the investigation was closed, but not necessarily because they didn't find anything. There is a file out there and Bosch wants to know if he's seen it. Anderson has not seen it, but they both want to find out what, what is Irving doing for the FBI in exchange looking at that file. Definitely, it's sort of indicative of a quid pro quo situation between uh, the two parties. Bad guys. <laughs> the, the bad guys, <laughs> the different groups of bad guys. He's giving up pursuing Pena. Irv makes a lot of moves this episode because his next move is the billet's office. Yes, certainly is. And he wants to know how she's, you know, how she's doing, he, you know, whether he really wants to know or not, he begins the conversation. He doesn't care. <laughs> he wants to know. He wants to know how do you feel about my promotion? And are you a are you a are you a me person? Are you working right. for me? Whose side are you, are you on? Are you hundred yeah. percent for me? Because I could make you right now. Yeah, that's what yeah. he's telling her. Yeah, he's kind of feeling her out. Which way is this going to go? If you're with me, then I want you to be the next captain. Also, let's not forget one thing. If she decides to listen to her partner and sue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She's suing him. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So he needs to make her happy and make this all boof. Right, right. So um, and he also, he talks to her about that he wants her to be captain, not just temporarily, but move into a permanent position. And he suggests that it would prob- most likely be the first in a series of promotions. Like he g- gives her this great picture of a long career moving up and up. But he wants to keep it on the down low right now because he hasn't formally announced it yet. So, hmm. All right. Then, as the chief is trying to leave, Harry grabs him. Harry's not happy. He confronts him in the parking lot. There are some angry words exchanged. Harry just outright accuses accuses him of giving up the pursuit of Pena for his own benefit to please the feds so he can get the file and, and secure his well-being, secure his second term. So Irving acts like he doesn't know what Harry's talking about. Harry says, you know, you're letting Pena get away. Irving says, you know, he already has two people arrested for it, but... You know, for Harry, that's not enough. You know what this scene reminded me of for a second? Tell me. me. What photo? Oh, yes. Yes. (laughs) Like, just like, what are you talking about, Bosh? What photo? Like, what about what 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 file? Like, just just like it just brought it back to me. Like, this always happens. Bosh calls him out on something that Bosh investigates and finds out. And then he's like, what? photo or what (laughs) What are you talking about yeah the chief tries to shut it down like with this you know great confidence and commanding presence and just tries to shut him down but harry's not having it this time he says you know f you and boy the look on the chief's face when he turns around and tells him that's his last free one that's some tension there on the screen what do you think about that well to be fair how many people can go into work question their boss about something get told don't worry about it and then tell them f you yeah but am i wrong here like <laughs> right and they and they get told that's your last one how right. many how many has he had, many you had? That we didn't see yeah how many have you had like i mean i understand that you know harry's one of the best at what he does and you know irv and harry have that kind of relationship you know harry seems to have like for somebody who's so like complex mm-hmm. he seems to have a little family going on here i mean they mm-hmm. might not always get along but which family does you know right. but like he's with jay Edgar two episodes ago and and now he's fighting with Irv. It just seems like he's just, you know, goes back yeah. and forth. <laughs> it was definitely a, a no holds barred conversation. And yes, when he said that and um, Irvin, you know, we all know he's a great actor. His face. Yes. I don't think anybody could have made a better face for that moment of like, just to tell you what he's thinking. Yeah. Like I thought in my mind, when I saw his face, that was a face of somebody who I want to punch you right now, yeah. but I can't. 
So this is your last free one. Anger, like, yeah, how dare you, the goal. Mm-hmm. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Especially Irving, because Irving's a big, a big shot. He's got oh. nice suits. No one talked yeah. to him like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just saying. Yeah. <laughs> it was, uh, it was heated for sure. Well, then we get to see Maddie meeting with her mentor. So she's she's doing this. She's finding out what the next steps are in the application process. He asked her again, you know, why she wants to be a police officer. And she talks again about wanting to do something that matters and helping people. They talk about her being a legacy candidate with her dad being in the LAPD. So it's, it's, this is moving quickly. You know, I I would say I was kind of surprised to already see her in the office with a mentor. Apparently, you know, how quickly, I mean, it doesn't seem like it was a, a day or so. I don't know how fast that she went from applying to actually being brought in. Well, Harry, he's meeting with everybody today. So now he's meeting with Luke Goshen, uh, who was, you know, we know from season two as Lucky Luke Rykov. And he is in the CIT unit and Harry wants to meet with him confidentially. They get together and Harry wants Goshen to give him information. So he's pretty much, yeah, he's, you know, he's going around to Scott Anderson. He wants information. Going to Goshen wants information. Getting what he came from Collins. So he tells them that they're supposed to be the big meeting with Las Palmas and La Emmy, cartels, et cetera. And he heard that, you know, his group's um, CIT was going to be there. He reminds him about the fire, what happened with Sonia and the four other victims. And so he's, he's pleading with Goshen to give him more intel so that he can pick up Pena after the meeting. And that's a key phrase <laughs> that he says he's going to pick him up after the meeting. Because yeah. uh, if you're listening to this podcast, you have probably watched the episode and you know that that is not what, what Bosch ends up doing. So, but that, that's what he, that's how he, you know, part of how he sells him on. He says, yeah, I just, you know, let the feds get what they need and I want to pick him up afterward. So, but, but they leave at that conversation where Goshen doesn't promise anything, but, you know, base, Harry has made his best case. He's tried to make his best case with Goshen to give him information. So all he can do now is wait and see if he comes through with something. So then we're back at the station. It's time to find out what the reassignments are to West Bureau or elsewhere. So Grace puts the the list up on the board and big, big news here. We hear Juan the Shoeshiner speak. He has a line. She says, you know, hello to him. And uh, he, he speaks to her, tells her to have a good weekend. It's everybody, I think, that's been a Bosch fan for a long time, really, that really stood out to them. He calls her boss. He calls her happy. Yeah, happy. Mm-hmm. Yep, he does indeed. And, and you can tell there's a, a mutual respect between them. And she's always talked to him every time she passes by. You know, we saw the chief pass by earlier in the, the um, episode and didn't say anything to him, nor did he say anything to crate who's sitting there getting his shoes shined and 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 crate congratulates him i don't know if you remember that yeah congratulations chief and he just keeps walking he doesn't even respond to him at all and that's pretty funny actually seeing the look on crate's face it's like okay that was really cool i think that was a fun thing for fans to finally hear from juan the shoe shine guy all right so pierce everybody's watching her they know she's put up the sign and pierce announces okay She's gone. He sees her exit down the hallway. And so Vega and J. Edgar and Pierce, they all go over to look at the sign. Eventually, Creighton Barrow and Mank find their way over there, too. And so we go down the list. J. Edgar to RHD. He's being promoted. And then we see Bosch and Vega. They are being transferred to West Bureau as partners in Homicide. And Pierce is assigned to what they call the late show. And Pierce is not having it which is, this is funny to me. I want to know what your feelings are because Pierce consistently throughout the series has had a 
go get them good attitude, you know, working up through the ranks and just trying to do the right thing and be positive, be, you know, a good detective. And he's just distraught. It's just, it's like a knife in his chest. What'd you, what'd you think of his response? I think maybe he should have talked to Scott Anderson and got some information (laughs) about the chief and used that to get himself a promotion because I mean, he's, he's still a younger guy in the group. I mean, you know, and I mean, he's good at what he does. He's a go-getter. So, you know, you know, he's, he's going to keep a positive attitude. He's going to do the job at night, the best he can do. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately when you're really good and you, you just at every position and everywhere, they're going to put you where they're going to need you the most. I feel. Yeah. So I don't think it had anything to do with him being a bad cop or a good cop. I think if anything, it's him being a good cop is the reason why he got put there because they know he's not going to complain he's going to go to work every day he's going to do the job that he's going to and you know he's got plenty of years i guess they figure to move up little by little you know yeah i mean and we we all know there's an opening (laughs) at the end of the episode so i'm sure he got that (laughs) yeah good point so yeah i mean he's but everyone's trying to make him feel better but it's it's not it's not really working he's just like no it's not good so it was just, a, it was interesting to see him just being negative, you know, because usually he's trying to be positive, maybe sarcastic sometimes, but we don't usually see him being super negative and he's just not happy at all. So he's, um, a, he's upset. He's disappointed. Yeah. You know, it happens. Mm-hmm. He's but probably he more disappointed. Job. He should be more disappointed. He didn't get more screen time this season. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> but he should be happy. He has a job. I mean, they had to reassign everyone. You know, they didn't want them to lose their jobs because homicide. Oh yeah, exactly. So you know, at least he, he still has a job. So who knows where it will go. So Edgar, he confronts Harry because he's like, wait a minute, did you have something to do with this? I'm going to RHD. That doesn't make sense. Why not you? And Harry's like, oh, you know, it certainly makes sense. You're great. You're going to be awesome. And he says, did you have something to do with it? And Harry's, Harry, it's interesting. He uses the firm, the, the term powers of persuasion, that you overestimate my powers of persuasion. And that's the same phrase that Irving used when he tells June how he was able to get a second term. Yes. Yes. So it's interesting to hear that same phrase again, powers of persuasion this time from Harry. So then they all head over to Musso and Frank's. You know, that's definitely a callback to many times seeing that over the seasons. And, you know, Pierce is still really down. Mank, Crate and Barrel, they're all sitting around him trying to tell him stories about how it's going to, you know, be great and a lot of variety. And they're just, as Crate says, you're not helping. You know, the, the stories they're telling is kind of making it worse. Yeah. So then he moves on down to, to Harry's, where Harry's sitting at the other end of the bar and tries to, you know, see if maybe Harry can make him feel better. But Harry uh, calls him Youngblood. You know, that's his, his nickname from Robertson. And he just tells him, you just, you know, you're going to just got to hold fast, you know, basically hang in there, you know, do your best. This, you know, he, he can't really what say, I just said. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He <laughs> can't really say, oh, you're going to love it. He says, I would be miserable, but just got to hold fast. And then we've got Vega talking to Jerry and how she is happy for him, but she thought they would be a great team. And she's a little nervous about being paired with Harry as partners. So, and then Maddie walks in, she's looking for her dad. She um, goes and sit down, um, sits down with him and tells him that she has some news. And what first he thinks she's engaged. Actually, I'm going to jump in here because I thought it was interesting. Um, She's like, no, I need you to recommend somebody for the um, LAPD. And here's where I was. Okay. I'm calling bullshit. Okay. On this scene. I'll tell you why. Uh-huh. Because Harry either is really drunk or, or they just messed up this scene. Because Harry Boss, I've been watching for seven years now. Uh-huh. Now, I don't, he goes, sure. Who is it? What do you mean? Sure. Who is it? Like, yeah. I'll write it for anybody. What if it was the Korean town killer? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, like, you know what I mean? Like, if somebody was like, oh, I want you to write a recommendation for somebody 
for the for the place you work. I would be like, why? Who? How? Mm-hmm. My first answer wouldn't be sure. Who is it? You know <laughs> yeah. what I'm so, I don't think. Yeah. So you're more surprised that he's just like ready to do it than you are that he doesn't realize it's her. Yeah. I'm yeah. like, yo, like, what do you mean? So like, you're just going to write it for anyone? This isn't yeah. Harry Bosch. I, I kind of thought the same thing. I was like, wow, that doesn't really sound like Harry. You know, he's he thinks things through. You have to prove yourself with him. I was like, he does seem like in this scene he's had a couple of drinks especially when he bought one for pierce a second ago mm-hmm. yeah maybe maybe he's just relaxed and okay. yeah just sure who is it you know mm-hmm. you know he knows that maddie's not going to bring him you know the korean town killer so you know <laughs> he definitely wakes up when she says it's about her she's the one and he gets a he gets a little nervous you know are you sure and you know she's like well yes i'm sure it's my decision you know but, but I'm sure because he says, you know, they haven't talked about it, which and I've never seen it in the TV show. I've never heard it come up that I recall. So I think I think it was very telling that she did it without him, because this is one decision that's 100 percent not his and 100 percent hers. Yeah. That's so I don't think point. she needs she feel like she needed to share with him. You know, there's a point there's a point in time mm-hmm. when you have to flex your independence. Yeah. With your parents. Either mm-hmm. mother, father, whoever it may be, step parent, somebody who took took care of you your whole life and became your parent. And you know, you people try to do it in different ways. I feel like this was her way. Mm-hmm. Like I'm an adult, I don't need to run everything by you anymore. You know, mm-hmm. that's it. I was shot at two episodes ago, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, she also knows he's got her back. So. Oh yeah, yeah. But now that that is a really good point because you it does feel like she's sure, and it's got to make a difference that she decided all by herself that it's not influenced by him. You know that she's come to that degree of certain, certain he didn't give a he didn't he didn't get a chance to talk her into it or out of it or out of it right that's very that was point. just her decision i'm doing this i'm an adult i'm making decisions like it or not i'm sorry mm-hmm. that's it we have another scene i think it's the, the next evening but she maddie does get to go visit uh honey chandler in the hospital she has woken up she holds her hand honey opens her eyes she's pleased to see maddie there and maddie tells her welcome back and i didn't notice the first the first watch i don't think but Chandler begins to cry. You see the tears roll down her cheeks. Did you notice that? Yes. She was yeah. touched that she was there. Yeah. And and I think just that she's come through this, you know, I mean, I don't know how many days it's been. Uh, actually, it could be a trivia question because I did look at the date on the board in her room. So we, we do know how many days it's been. <laughs> I guess it's a good thing I didn't ask for a trivia question. But yeah, I mean, it's been a few weeks almost. So she's coming out of it and uh, you know, has some hope and yeah she was very touched to, to see maddie but there must just be now that she is awake and alert there must just be so much emotion that's got to let its way out also the next day there's an fbi meeting going on we got special agent in charge brenner holding the meeting he's talking about the plans for the stakeout and everything at el cholo and he talks about safety safety for the public we see luke goshen in the back corner and Brenner announces, he says CIT will come in and make arrests if the FBI gets the evidence they need from Pena's wire. He says the time that they'll start gathering is 1,800 hours. And just also wanted to point out that we get another cameo appearance of Tim Marsha, who's longtime you know, law enforcement consultant. He and Mitzi Roberts uh, for both the novels and the TV show. And he's he's been an FBI agent in, in multiple seasons. So it's fun seeing him sitting there here in the last season. So... You see Harry and Jerry at the station and Harry's putting paperwork together for uh, a filing package for the district attorney for Pena. And Jerry's like, hold up, time out. What's up? You know, we've been told to leave him alone. 
you know, what's what's going on? And he's, he's so concerned that he takes Harry outside. Well, you know what happened? Jay Edgar finally caught the plot and figured out what was yeah. going on and got caught up. And when he got caught up, he realized what yeah. is actually happening. And I thought it was interesting because he's like, Harry, we need to go talk him outside. And he's like, Harry yeah. kind of like, you could do one of those things like a kid would do on a tablet, just kind of like, yeah. yeah. And he's like, now. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, okay, Jay Edgar's officially back because yeah. now he's like telling Harry. He's like, what you, Yes. Now, and now he's telling Harry like, yo, what are you doing? I mean, I mm-hmm. believe he used the term career suicide. Yeah. Yeah. And not only and he told Harry, not only are you going to hurt yourself in this situation, right. you're going to hurt everyone around you because everybody involved in this is going to get taken down one at a time in the right. investigation when they figure it out. Yep. So I, it's kind of one of those things where, you know, Jay Edgar feels that Harry sees how passionate he is about the situation and then kind of says, all right, I'm all in. Yeah, because, yeah, he's not going to change his mind. He knows his partner and he knows he's at that point. He says he can't let it go and he knows he means it and he can't let it go. So yeah, he says he's going to lead back up. So um, he's just waiting on the time. You know, he knows it's at El Cholo and he, he's waiting on the time. So they do end up back inside and Robertson is there and they talk about the unsolved murders, the pictures on Harry's desk. Uh, we're reminded that he still has, you know, several unsolved murders that weigh on him. So, and Robertson uh, thanks him, thanks um, Edgar for helping out picking up dads and he says that Joan Bennett at RHD wants wants uh, him to give her a call and I love that little wink he does at Harry when he leaves and then boom Harry gets a text and it's the time and place of the meeting and it says a warning that there's going to be many many guns sounds a little intimidating so here we go it's the big scene where they're going to show up at the restaurant. Uh, first, we see the command center that's been set up for the FBI. Jerry and Harry are circling El Cholo, and they see that the Las Palmas uh, security, as you would have it, are already there guarding the restaurant. So they pull over to another location and watch. Can I cut yeah, you off ahead. for one yeah. second? Because yeah. I like to give myself credit about things. Now, mm-hmm. <laughs> did you notice how... When they set up that restaurant, they had people on every corner watching everything yet in Pena's <laughs> house right. in his backyard. They have yes. nobody watching anything. So anybody can roll up. So yep. like you see the difference organization. Yep. No, I hear you. I hear you. It was it was well armed. And uh, yeah, definitely. That's a very good point. But they have to. Harry says you know he's got to get in there. So they do. This is kind of an interesting scene. Harry's in the back. And when we spoke with Patrick Cady, who directed this episode, we talked to him. Uh, we had his interview a couple episodes ago, but he talked about Harry being in the back of the car and for filming and how he can smoothly roll out of the Jeep. And he's got his beanie on his head, you know, his, his jacket. He's kind of in stealth mode. And a lot of people commented that that look kind of reminded them of season three when he goes to that island to track down Trevor Dobbs. Do you remember that? He takes the boat over and he's got the, the beanie yes. hat on. Yeah. So it was kind of like that. So he, so he gets out and Jerry's trying to distract the security at, so that Harry can get in the building. And he's saying, yeah, I'm here to pick up food. And the guy's like, no, 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 you keep going, keep going. You can't stop. And he's like, I just need to pick up food. And then he shows Jerry his gun. He's like, got it, got it, you know, and drives away. So Bosch just has this, you know, he's just moves through the restaurant, like just a man with a plan. He's dodging people. He's going right through the kitchen. Nobody <laughs> seems to care that he's walking through their kitchen. Then he picks up a menu and is kind of hiding and looking. And then he gets a text from Jerry that, that Pena is entering. So did you want to talk about this scene at all before we, As we get further into it? Yes, because okay. it starts to get very controversial very mm-hmm. soon. So go ahead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
So yeah, so Harry, he's, he's not, we know, he's not going to wait for the FBI to get their stuff. He's going to go ahead and grab Pena, which is exactly what he does. Harry, um, Jerry tells him that Pena is there and Bosch, you know, he, he moves through, like I said, stealthily and carefully and is able to grab Pena from behind. So Pena can't see him. And he says, there's a change of plans. They, they know you got to stay with me. And still Pena doesn't know who it is, but then he yanks his arm, yanks Pena's arm. And that, so that makes Pena turn around. He sees it's Bosch. And uh, then he yells his name and then Bosch slams his head onto the kitchen counter. And then it just gets, it escalates from there with the, the emotion but yet Bosch is able to get him out. They hit, they hit a couple of blockades, you know, uh, they have to dodge some more and they, they get out and at first Jerry's not there. And then he just comes flying through and which makes all the security. Well, people have already seen Pena kind of in like leaving. They don't know who yeah. he's with. They just see that Pena yeah, all of a sudden all is maneuvering. Concerned. Yeah. <laughs> so they, yeah. the one guy with the one guy who looks like a boss is following through the kitchen mm-hmm. to the work is so like, yeah, it was just good timing because when um they got out there, Harry's like, damn, nobody's here. And then, yeah, and then speed racer. Through. Well, it's interesting you bring up that guy that looks kind of well. I was thinking about the guy that looks um, kind of like a Major D or something, but I wonder if he's undercover as an FBI because he seems really concerned that Pena is leaving. Yes. Yeah. So I, I I'm not clear for sure on that, but that's kind of how. You know, I there's think. a lot of there's a lot of um FBI agents undercover, there, and there's also yeah. a lot of organized criminals there. Yes, so yes, yes. we don't know who's a, who. It's a mixed bag. Yeah. So yeah, he gets out and, and Jerry comes barreling through in the Jeep and they're able to get into the car, but then they're going to start firing. And, and that Mater D type guy says, no, that's Pena. You can't, you can't shoot. So, so there they go. Do you want to talk about it now about the conversation they have in the car and Harry makes a call? Well, they were bringing him to, they brought him to the precinct yeah, to get him yeah. fingerprinted yeah. and booked because once you're booked in the system, you cannot remove the booking. It's right. in there no matter what, even if, you know, it gets expunged later, it's still an asterisk on the record. Yeah. And that's why Harry's, you know, so anxious. So it's a race Harry against the clock. Yeah, it is a race against the clock. Yeah, for sure. And the whole time Pena's like, you're going down for this. It's not going to work. You know, they're going to know it's you. And of course, they well, can Pena's hear is right. Wire. Pena's right well, in theory, because Pena's theory, with the yeah. FBI who has carte blanche in this situation. They made him all these promises. He's doing a risky thing you know, looking forward to his new life. And, and here's Harry, you know, saying, I'm going to bring you to jail and you're going to jail for these murders. And like, and he's thinking to himself like, yo, even if you put like, even if you book me, mm-hmm. your chief's going to come take me out and give me back to the FBI. Yeah. So why are you doing this? Yeah, you're going down. And he brought up so- a good point. I mean, he's not wrong. Mm-hmm. Harry yeah. just had it and had it, had to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they get there. They get to the station. They they take him down to booking. It's funny to watch Mank during this series of scenes because he just seems like he's like confused or what the heck's going on the whole time. Because first he's surprised to see Harry walking through with Pena. And then he hears that there's a reporter there. You know, it's Scott Anderson. And he expects Harry to say, tell him to go away. But Harry says, bring him back. And so it's just funny watching the looks on Mank's face. He continues to be confused about what's going on here. But Harry does talk to Scott Anderson and he lets him know the deal that, you know, what Irving did, that he chose, you know, his career over the making, department. Yeah, over the department and making Pena 
pay for his crimes with the apartment fire in Sonia Hernandez. And then so, Irvin shows up and he says, you got to go out the back door. It's kind of seems like I got three more questions. And he's like, you better get the F yeah, out of yeah, here no, right we're now. We're yeah, all going we're down. <laughs> yeah, Mank, Mank sees on the monitors. So he gives the sign to Harry that the, the chief is pulling in. But, but before that, he does thank J. Edgar for having his back, but he wants him to get out of it now. He doesn't want him to be culpable in this situation. Well, which was the right move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think at this nice point, once Pena got booked, according mm-hmm. to them, mm-hmm. I think that whole mass arrest case that the FBI had mm-hmm. was going down the drain now and oh, no yeah. longer yeah. had a chance, which means that Irv was in trouble. Right. And Harry was probably going to get fired within the next week anyway, if not on the spot. So in my situation, I'm like, why take Jay Edgar down with you? If Harry right. takes the blame himself, worked alone, gets fired, nobody else is to blame that they got the one person, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah, I hear you. So yeah, I, at that point, I was like, he's not returning. There's no way he keeps his job. We kind of, we kind of skipped over where the, the scene where Irving learns about what has happened when Brenner calls him and he is just so angry. And oh, because he's in the house, right? He's in the house with June, you know, the baby's doing well, just having a nice evening at home. And then Renner calls him just, you know, reaming him out and saying, you know, where's Bosch? You know, and, and Irving says, I didn't know anything about this. And basically, Brenner doesn't care. He's like, get him back, get him back, get Pena back. So that, you know, obviously is what sends Irving to the station. And we have, so they send out Scott Anderson. Pena's been booked. Irving comes in. Unbooks him. (laughs) Unbooks him. Yeah. He, uh, well, Harry tries to tell him, yeah, he's already been booked. It's already been made. It's already in the system, just like you said. But, you know, and he even mentions the filing package. But Irving just, you know, goes off on him, tells him he's suspended pending review. And it brings Pena up and tells Mank to escort him um outside to have some people watch him outside for the pickup by the fbi so you know harry's done he goes back to in the bullpen there with crate and barrel and all them and says you know basically i'm done um you know he's got to pack it's time for him to go i told you it's not gonna end well Mm -hmm. (laughs) he's packing things up then we switch back out to the sidewalk in front of the station and officers morgan and rodriguez um, are there with Pena and Pena this this is a really I think a really striking scene because he asks if he can smoke and they're like sure whatever and he lights up you know you see the flame it's a really cool visual of the flame as he lights his cigarette and then a like kind of a slow-mo look up and then he sees the gun pointing at him so first this looks looks up you're like what is he looking at then you see the gun then you see that it's Sonia's father Hector and he says poor Sonia and shoots Pena because of course they all hear that inside well first how surprised were you when that happened <laughs> okay so I was very I was very shocked I believe but I knew something big had to happen here they had to be a payoff because we were uh-huh. we were at the end of the episode yeah and there was no more coming there was not another season there was not another episode they weren't just gonna you know they weren't just gonna leave that Pena outside goes with the FBI and they weren't just gonna end it like that Right. I mean, they could have and, you know, focused on Bosch's um, discipline, but right. I feel yeah. like this this was the moment, you know, when you're just like, good, nobody, you know, he, no one, you know, like at the end of the day, he didn't get away with it. Right. Yeah. I also felt bad for Bosch because it just seemed like Bosch didn't have to do, do anything, really. He could have just waited yeah. for this guy to shoot him. <laughs> yeah. This, I mean, yeah, this definitely put a, an exclamation point on the situation. You know, it, it, it put a. Well, now you really killed the it. case. So we see all this happening, but Bosch and the other detectives inside and the chief they don't see nothing. The gunfire. They hear the gunfire and uh, they run outside and just the look on Bosch's face when he sees Hector laying there 
and goes to him. And then he utters the words again for Sonia. You know, I think Bosch holds his hand. It's just really heartbreaking. And I think you kind of see like, you definitely see the emotion well up in Bosch. Like this is it. This is this is the last straw. And you almost see, I feel like you almost see tears welling up. You know, like this is what it's come to. This all this, just all these wrong choices and, and not pursuing justice the way he thinks it should be pursued. And this is how it ends. And he just walks over to Irving, blames him for everything, you know, said that he did it. And he shoves his badge into his chest. Then at that moment, we do see the FBI drive by with Agent Needy, Tom Bernardo, playing Agent Needy in the passenger seat. And he just tells the driver to keep going. I keep, mean, driving, like, keep driving, keep driving, keep driving. There's a complete <laughs> dumpster fire there in front of the police station. Keep going. So he had the what, same reaction that Jay's going to have when I'm sitting on his front lawn waiting for him <laughs> to come home and he sees a man and he's like, keep driving, keep driving. Don't, don't stop. It's Pete. Keep going. Keep going. So we, we kind of, we start rounding out the episode because Bosch is back at home. Maddie's been told from Jay Edgar what happened and she goes and has a talk with her dad. He's brought home all the files, you know, the unsolved, the pictures and the photos from his desk. She sees him sitting there in the kitchen and, and she's like, what are you going to do now? And he says, quote, something will come up. And then we have a really cool scene of Maddie's looking out to the to L.A., you know, off the balcony. And then Bosch is facing like towards the house. And it's just this really cool perspective, seeing them facing both directions. But then we see Harry turn around. She says she wants to help him and he's okay with that. And he, you know, he turns around and you see them both facing, you know, you see them both from behind, but it's really cool. I mean, I think it's, I think it's really great directing and cinematography. They're in different places, but then they turn and it's just a great visual that. Well, the first, up. the first season that was like his trademark scene, the shot mm -hmm. of him standing there, you know, either mm -hmm. door or at the end of an episode. Right you know, as it winds up looking at the city from his back. So yeah. the fact that his daughter is now next to him, mm -hmm. you know, shows yeah. you the progression of time over and, you know, who, what a better scene to, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. The very last scene we do see Harry applying for his PI license, private investigator. And it's an interesting exchange. I mean, clearly he has the, the background, the, the history of investigative work and all they need to do is get the fbi approval that's all you ever that's see family me. feud that big x <laughs> that's exactly what's going to happen to senior boss and he can't even use Irvin to help him anymore no this is exactly no. what i talked about he should be facing criminal charges you think they're going to give him a recommendation <laughs> yeah it's it's you know we know the spinoff's coming we've seen some pictures of him in like street clothes you know as a as a pi i mean it's it's obvious but I, I, I don't know if we're going to get any view into how he gets that FBI approval, but it, it's just very amusing to, to, to hear that line, you know, just pending FBI approval. Like it's simple, you know, like, oh, you'll be fine. And he, you know, he's like, oh, they have to sign off, you know, and she's like, yeah. And then, of course, we get the little cameo of executive producer Henrik Baston coming behind him in the line as the next person going to the window. But that's that's how it ends. So yeah, and so we know that the spinoff was announced back in March and that Madison Lynch was announced for it, the Maddie character, um, Mimi Rogers plays Honey Chandler, and of course, Titus, who plays Harry. But like you mentioned earlier, we just, you know, no one knew about this police academy thing, you know, and then you want to see how it plays out. Now, if you go, we talked about uh, Mike Martini making his visit out to Los Angeles. He was able to meet Madison and got, you know, they had some photos. And she's in her police patrol uniform, 
which is pretty cool to see her. We've never, you know, seen her look like that at all. Um, her hair back in a bun. So a lot of folks are like, oh, so it is really happening. She is going to go to the Academy, which if, if you listen to the, the it, it's not a spoiler, because if you listen, uh, Henrik had already said, I know he shared with us in our interview that a lot of the the new spinoff was going to be focused on patrol, that we hadn't seen a lot of that environment. You've been focused more on the detective work. So that, you know, he said, we're going to get more insight to that with Maddie. I, I finally people, figured it out. Let me tell you what I figured that. out just yeah. now, just while you were talking. Yep. The police academy. Now, you think that Maddie is going to be there at the same time that Jake is there for his discipline? At the <laughs> same time, at the same time, now I know why Jay couldn't make it tonight. He heard Maddie was in the academy and said, I'm going back. Going back. <laughs> going back. That's what it is. Yeah, I, I wonder when Jay Edwards is going to get around to doing that remedial, was it tactical training? So yeah, well, maybe, maybe he'll, he'll be there with Maddie. Maddie. Maybe he'll do it with Maddie. Yeah, they'll team up. So yeah, I'm excited about all kinds of things with with her being on patrol. Like, you know, who's she going to be partnered with? It's just so, so like, like Henrik said in the interview, just so much new stuff to explore. And you'll hear a lot about us talking about the spinoff. And you had asked some questions earlier about, you know, is everything going to translate over to the, the spinoff? And I sort I asked that question of Tom, so you can tune in and listen to his answer about that kind of some of our expectations about timeline characters, what happened before, does that stay the same going forward? We've heard announcements from Troy Evans and Gregory Scott Cummins that they are going to be on at least the, I think there have been two episodes of the spinoff. They were filming for those, so that's pretty exciting. So I think I think it's going to be. It's hard to wait. It's hard to see this end and and wait for the spinoff. But it's happening. We see behind the scenes shots. They're filming. We're learning new details all the time. So I think we have a lot to look forward to. Well, when you hear the name Jay Edgar uh-huh. on the spinoff, you call me immediately <laughs> and let me know so I can have a drink to toast. To toast. You're going to be watching because we're going to be podcasting about no, it. No, but like when the news breaks, like before we're oh, watching yeah. and it's yeah. like Jamie Hector, um, you know, stars in an yeah. episode of the boss, you know, the boss spinoff. I want to know as soon as you know. I know. Yeah. Although it would be fun to just not know. And then. See no, it wouldn't. I want to know right you now. If it happens tomorrow, time. if it's announced tonight, <laughs> I want to know tonight. <laughs> I need to start planning the whole season in my head of the spinoff. I'll tell you how it's going to go in about two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have it all planned out. And you got to know who would be the bad guy because you, you you worked on predicting that with, uh, with the Bosch series. And we'll just have to wait and see. So good stuff. Just just a, a general question. How did you feel about it? How it ended? The, the actual close? So the, the first time I watched it, I watch it for fun. I don't I don't uh-huh. really go into like I just think about how I feel during parts for the podcast later on, yeah. but I don't analyze or anything. I always watch it like two or three times. The third time is normally the analyzation time when I stop and pause things and whatever. Mm-hmm. It was sad. Mm-hmm. It was sad to me because, like I said, when I watched it, I also didn't have as much information about the spinoff. Okay. You know, I, I, I it was it was sad, but the fact that there was a spinoff announced definitely helped soften the blow. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's how I felt. Yeah. And I felt I felt bad for Harry. Like in some ways I felt like, I mean, clearly you could say he faced defeat in this. But at the same time, when you think about the spinoff, it's almost like you can say, well, he's going to win in the end because he's going to continue to pursue justice, you know, presumably another way. And like it didn't it didn't stop him completely. It didn't completely defeat him and stop him from his mission in life. You know, it feels a little bit that way at the end of this series. But knowing that he's going to keep pursuing justice in the future, it didn't take him down completely. 
it didn't destroy him and the fact that he's gonna you know be working in some way you know not side by side with his daughter but that they're he's gonna mentor his daughter yeah yeah you know it's just gonna be a good father-daughter relationship yeah and that's what a lot of people have enjoyed so much from them is is that relation that father-daughter relationship well we've seen it grow so definitely definitely it's been very uh, believable you know it's been some really good good storytelling there well let's move into our interrogation room do you have a question about the episode or I can go um I do have a good question about the episode it's not um like oh my god what do you think about this or that it's actually yeah. just a question about in general um mm-hmm. before the episode ended while I was watching it I made a trivia question not a trivia question but like um a question what is your thoughts on Bosch and Vega at the moment when they were supposed to be partners because when uh-huh. he was at the bar and she was talking to Jay Edgar about how she was she was intimidated by Harry and she thought for uh-huh. sure that it would be her and Jay Edgar and they make a great partnership I guess they thought Harry was going to go to RHD and they right. were going to be the, the next two partners or whatever blah right. blah blah but I think personally they would have been great partners with yeah. her being you know a strong female that speaks Spanish and him being the way he is think about how much work they would get done together and how yeah. much crime they would solve yeah <laughs> Yeah, it was no, a great part. It was a great idea. As far as Vega and Harry, I was surprised, even though, I mean, having read the books and knowing about the spinoff, you know, I knew that Harry was probably not going to, you know, be in the department by the end of the, the season, end of the episode. But it, it but did strike me as like, oh, well, that's interesting. I, I would have thought it would have been Harry with his seniority in the department being. Our I team. also think earlier in the season. When he, um, Jagger was messing up and he brought Vega in uh-huh. for that interview, oh, Vega yeah, got the yeah. information out of her. Yeah. That's- Vega got what she needed. Like, they, yeah. like, you know, so Vega yeah. did her job. She called yeah. Vega before everything bad happened. Vega just missed the call. That's right. That's right. So, that's like, Vega did good. She, she was on point. Like, you know, yeah. so Bosch, I think if they saw that, said, I could work with this. Yeah. Like, like, Vega's a real person. She's not going to mess up. She's not going to be sloppy. She's going to be on point. You know, she knows mm-hmm. the streets. You know, she knows, I, I thought it would be a good partnership personally. Yeah. No, thinking it through, I think it would have been. It's, like I said, it surprised me at first, just based on seniority. I would have thought Bosch would have been the RHD. I think Edgar thought that too. But when you do look back at these little nuggets throughout the series, and especially this season, you know they have a good rapport. You know he um, he teases her, you know, but she fires right back. You know, they like she can handle him, and like you said, he he sees how she can do good work and trusts her. So I mean, that's a really good foundation for a partnership. So. Doesn't seem like that's going to happen now, but I think it would have would have worked. So let's all just hope that Pierce got moved to Vegas partner <laughs> and everything is good. Let's hope. Let's hope. Let's hope that's the plan. All right. My question for you, Harry's talking to Jerry there at the end, you know, near the end of the episode. And Jerry says, Harry's talking about the story coming out. You know, well, everyone's going to find out what Irving did, blah, blah, blah. And Edgar says, well, if, um, as long as the chief doesn't get to Anderson first. So what do you think, how do you think the chief could stop the story from coming out? Like he says, if, if, if the chief gets to Anderson first, um, it won't all come out. Don't print the story and I'll give you a bigger story as soon as I get it. I owe you one. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. I said, he's, he knows so much. He has so much you know, information. Yeah, Scott Anderson can get three stories mm-hmm. unrelated to Irvin and that whole situation in exchange yeah. for giving up the one. Mm-hmm. And if you're a reporter, you know, three big stories is better than one big story. It's simple math. Now, would that keep the FBI from calling out Irving if there was no story? Like Brenner said, if we're going to not we're not going to hold back if the, you know, the press gets on this. 
I think a uh, controversy, mm-hmm. a scandal is bad for everybody. Yeah, yeah. So at the end of the day, they're all just going to use their bargaining chip and they're all going to get something out of it. And now the FBI has carte blanche to, you know, to tell everyone what they want when they want it. They have mm-hmm. one in the hole with Irv now. Yeah. I mean, he can recover from this, Irv. He's the police chief. He just, you know, manipulated himself into a, another term. The FBI knows they can work with him. He's willing to work around the FBI, obviously, we saw from this episode. Yeah. So if anything, he he aligned with the FBI, if you want my opinion, and that's how he's going to use his information. Because they, technically, I mean, he could use the FBI and be like, yo, this guy, Scott Anderson, we need to get rid of him. Find the way. Find him. Pull something up on him that he said, you know, find the way to charge him and get he's him in. in. Yeah. Yeah, shut him down. I mean, yeah, I've seen I've seen lots of movies and television more than most, <laughs> and it happens. They they find ways to shut you down. You yeah. know. Yeah, different different ways to approach it. Yeah. All right. Well, let's look at our persons of interest uh, for the episode. Do you want to go first? I I has to be Pena. Okay. This was all revolved around Pena, I feel. I mean, granted, we have our regulars, you know, our main characters on the show, but this particular episode was about Pena. Even the biggest, like, if you look at the scene when he got shot at the end, to me that was a that that was bigger than seeing over a lot of the, the stuff that happened afterwards mm-hmm. because I was so shocked. There was a shock, yeah. you know, a shock level. Mm-hmm. And um, the fact that, yeah, Pena was so valuable and able to do all this and, you know, not to be intimidated by Bosch even to the end. Yeah, 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 that's true. You know, like that's a, that's a lot. Like I said, in the beginning, I liked him. I don't like him that much anymore. <laughs> but <laughs> but he was the person of interest. OK, OK, that's a good choice. I, I picked, I mean, there's the obvious ones like, like Harry, you know, yeah. but I went with Hector Hernandez and because he, he changed up the whole story. Like it, it, things did not go the way the FBI wanted. Their plans got foiled and things didn't go the way Harry wanted them to either. And, and what Hector did changed everything. It changed the story, you know, and the outcome for everybody. It was not what any of them were expecting. It changed Bosch's career. Yeah, yeah. That, so, yeah, I mean, he just changed the trajectory for, for everyone's plans. And and it was just so heartbreaking. Just just so, so heartbreaking. Every Almost every scene that man was in was just uh, definitely pulled on your heartstrings. So but I'm going to do one for Jay since he's not here. And Jay likes to go with, the, you know, how he likes to think outside the box and pick something kind of you wouldn't normally say. So I'm predicting that Jay would choose the the women in the unsolved cases, the photos, you know, all the cases that he took home, that Jay would choose them because that is what keeps Harry going. And that's what's going to, you know, propel him in his work, uh, presumably as a PI, are, are these cases that, you know, these victims that no one else is thinking about, everybody counts or nobody counts. He doesn't want them to stay, you know, cold cases, unsolved they just kind of represent a lot of who Harry is and what keeps him going and what his mission is. So I'm thinking Jay would, would, would pick those victims as the. Wow. You give Jay a lot of credit. I was thinking Jay's going to pick captain Cooper. He misses him. (laughs) Misses him already. He can't complain about him anymore. So ever again. Yeah. Yeah. He's out. So we don't really need to do evidence locker. I mean, we saw how things wrapped up. But we did get some feedback on the tip line. Let's take a look at that. Speaking of our pal, Mike Martini, he says, I forgot to mention this during the season seven, episode seven recap. And I was excited to mention it too, but I was distracted with the prank on Tracy last episode. <laughs> so you guys, I haven't shared a lot about this yet. They really got me. Pete was not with us on that podcast, but... If you haven't heard from anyone, Jay and Mike, they found the closest thing they could to distortion masks 
because they know that that mask creeped me out. Pete even knows that masks in general scare me. And so they bought these and I, I can't believe I fell for it under the premise of going to get a drink before we kept continuing with the podcast. I'm looking down at my notes, my papers, and they come back and I look up and they're both wearing these masks and they look really freaky and it was, they got me good. So kudos to Jay and Mike and probably Pete probably helped with the idea. Well done. You got me. You pranked me well. So all I can say is I owe you one. That's what I say. I owe you one. You pranked me, but I owe you one. So, but back to Mike's feedback. He said, finally, we have a door locking scene. As Bosch and Maddie are leaving for Donna Sobel's funeral, Bosch closes the door, waits there for a few seconds after closing it. Then you can hear a click when it seems he pushes a button. I know many people mention that and talk about it on the Bosch pit and that they have never seen him locking his door. That, that's been a topic. So I wonder if some of the writers, producers had seen or heard about the comments and included that scene to appease the fans. Who knows? So apparently people have been wondering why does Bosch, they have never seen him locking his door. But Mike, with his focus and his eagle eyes and his ears, he noticed that scene. So interesting. We heard from Kelly. She talks about the scene when, and when Harry goes into Grace's office and closes the door to give his suggestions or recommendations for the Hollywood homicide reassignments. She says she believes Bosch knew his career was over due to career suicide. My hunch is that he suggested to Grace that Pierce be placed on the night shift so that when he left or was fired, Harry, Pierce would be reassigned to the West Bureau with Vega. Harry taking care of his colleagues, a noble cause as always. And he we, did say hold fast. Yeah. Yeah. When yeah, he poured yeah. in the drink. And yeah. As if he, as if he knew, just hang in there. And I know. mentioned it too. Who's going to yeah, take over that spot? It has yeah. to be Pierce. So yeah. Yeah. And that, that is interesting. I thought the, you know, the conversation was just about recommending J Edgar for RHD, but I hadn't thought about maybe making this suggestion, like put him in like this holding place. Yeah. I thought he, I thought he set up the whole thing. I thought it was yeah, all his call, honestly, because, you know, I, I love it. And then Valerie says, do you think that line on the application and the last scene where he's filling out his uh, PI license application, do you think that line where it says hold fast is going to be the name of Harry's PI agency? And she um, shared a picture, like a, a still of that and so he's got his name but then i guess the line where it says maybe agency it says hold fast do you think that's sort of a nod to the series and to harry or do you think it might actually be called that it may i didn't think about it at the moment but after listening to the feedback yes i absolutely believe that's going to be the name of his thing his agency Mm -hmm. i believe a lot of things they showed you was the like he's definitely going to be a private eye because you show the last scene they were showing the last scene ever of him they ended bosch like kind of like i feel like with the first you know, three minute trailer of the spinoff, if you want my opinion. Yeah. So like I said, and the fact that it's hold fast makes a lot of sense. So I'm going to go with that. Yes, I agree hundred percent. That's going to be the name of the agency. It's a good idea. Really cool. And the fact that they, it was written there and he used that line in the, in the last episode, you know, like maybe it was a little hint or something. Yeah. So it would be cool if it was. So I guess. Think about it. You just got to hold fast to Pierce, hold fast the name of my agency when I leave and you take over my job. (laughs) There you go. There you go. All right. Did you have any trivia for me for tonight? I do. I do. Okay. So here's my thing. I just want to make this a, a saying. So the tip line, we are still taking tip lines, um, even though the season's over. Personally, I would like to hear from everybody about their favorite Bosch moment ever. So ever. if you're listening, yes, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you an example. My favorite Bosch moment ever is the airplane fight. I won't say more about it until we go further into it, but that's my favorite overall scene. 
my favorite moment, just all overall, like just got me all hyped up and I'll never the forget it. So it. like, I want to hear your, your guys' favorite moments. Also, if you have a creepy mask, take a <laughs> selfie and add it with the feedback or not and send it to Tracy, please. Cause she loves masks. So oh. I expect to hear from all of you mm-hmm. as far as, trivia i went very easy i even think you mentioned the answer in your recap so this should be pretty simple maddie she applies for the um the the lapd they show the scene the next scene she's brought in what is the name of her mentor i'm thinking like william rodriguez well you don't see a first name so he has a very interesting name his name is gooden Oh, wow. Yeah, I didn't never would have gotten that. Do you see it on his badge or something? Yes, it's a, it's like a side view and you have to oh, pause okay. it and really like get it because I, I like to really, you know, mess with you guys. So, oh, that was good. That was hard. I also thought that they might have his name might have been mentioned in any anything that you brought up or recapped or somebody yeah. wrote something about it. So I thought maybe it would have got brought up. So I thought people might have had it. Mm-hmm. But you know what? Maybe they didn't. I'm curious to see if Mike was able to get this one. Yeah. Let us know, Mike. Let us know if you had that noted already. All right. Do you have any more or is that the one? Um, That was it. It was nice and soft. Like I <laughs> but said, I got I was... it wrong. It was nice yeah. and soft and I got it wrong. Well, I mean, you know, it's just, you know, I figured Maddie's mentor's name would be a big deal, but he was also in a very small scene. So I didn't want to, you know, I, I don't like to make trivia too easy for you guys. Yeah. Well, I have one for you. Got it. Okay. So when the FBI is setting up their command center and Harry and Jerry are in the car and Harry says that's probably where they've set up their command center, he points like to a building and it has their, the name of the building on it in big letters. What was the name of the, the building or the complex? Okay, so this is the moment when you realize why I'm the trivia guy because I don't answer them very well. I'm not, I'm not, that, I'm not like a Mike trivia guy where I know the answers to, to the trivia before. No, I find four questions and I, I, you know, I get the answers to those, but I don't know. But I'm gonna take my best guess and say FBI secret command center. <laughs> Wouldn't that be telling? <laughs> I have no clue, honestly. Um, it said Bento Place, like B-E-N-T-O place because i had to look really close it's like does it say benito place or it's benito funny place? because you even telling me that i didn't even realize i didn't like it didn't go it didn't flash in my head like oh yeah that's no no clue not even well, close. It's just funny the things i zone in on now because of trivia and i think would he ask that i better write that down or i better remember it that. is something i would ask so yeah, I was, no. I mean, y- you're figuring out my formula you know <laughs> you just kind of get something that has a quick scene but you see the thing and yeah. But yeah, no, I'm I'm terrible at trivia. I'll be the first one to admit it. That's why that's why I'm the trivia guy. That's, that's why you asked the questions yes. instead of answering. Well, this was fun, Pete. I enjoyed going over the series finale with you. We've got a great interview coming up next with Tom Bernardo. I know you're really gonna enjoy that. I certainly did enjoy talking to him. Just shout out to Jay. We miss you. We'll be back with more stuff. Uh, we've got some ideas. We'll definitely be podcasting for the spinoff. So look for that and now enjoy a great interview from tom bernardo see you later pete bye tracy (laughs) bye everybody thank you for always listening to us and get those favorite boss moments in you can send those to bosh at so many shows.com and we'll get your your feedback on your favorite moments and see if we can't maybe incorporate that into something so that'll be fun all right we're out bye guys
Well, let's just start out. I think everyone has seen you a lot. They've seen you, well, on the screen as Agent Needy. We've seen you a lot of behind-the-scenes photos. You're, like, always around. Folks have seen you in the writer's room conversations that have been on X-Ray. So I feel like everybody knows, oh, that's Tom Bernardo. But we kind of want to know the story of how you got to Bosch. So where did you hail from originally, and how did you get to be working on Bosch? So I'm originally from upstate New York, and uh, I I didn't really start out early on on a writing path. I had certain creative interests growing up, and now that I look back on it, I'm thinking maybe I should have sort of leaned into those more that it would get to writing. But I I sort of was an indirect route. I was a lawyer for several years, and then I always had a passion for literature. So I started Mm -hmm. taking creative writing workshops and, and started to think, well, maybe I could try writing, maybe, you know, get mm-hmm. some stories or possibly pursue a novel. And it's a sort of long, boring story, but I eventually just kind of discovered that I, my skill set, for whatever reason, was probably a better fit in this other kind of writing, which is dramatic writing and, and okay. television. So I embraced that and eventually mm-hmm. moved out here and was fortunate enough to get a job on Bosch. And then I was lucky they asked me back every year and we were fortunate to have a show that was successful so you can have a run which is a little bit more anomalous nowadays most shows don't go you know five Mm -hmm. six seven years and and in the streaming age for better or worse probably going to see less of that so Bosch was really an exception you know Mm -hmm. and uh, and I was I was very fortunate to be part of it so that's how it kind of happened for me okay did you have you found that your law career has been helpful and sometimes writing for Bosch and working on the show? I think it helps in terms of when I sit down and we talk with our consultants and we run through certain storylines, your, your mind starts thinking of the legal angle of things. And I'm, I have a familiarity okay. with certain concepts that mm-hmm. they talk us through that I wouldn't have if I didn't have that background. Mm-hmm. And I do think in the writer's room, when we're breaking story, sort of the more the analytical side at times can be helpful that can be a okay. detriment too because you, you want to have an imaginative side and there's different aspects and s- different skill sets that will help you as a writer on a on a show like this but i think in some ways my law background kind of informed my familiarity with concepts and and sort of breaking things down and seeing it maybe logically and analytically okay that makes sense yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Now you you said that your skill set seemed very suited to television, which I'd, I'd have to agree based on the work that you've done. Were you a big TV fan growing up? Have you always enjoyed TV or? Yes, and in films, okay. big fan of a, a lot of different animated films as a kid and and movies. I was very fortunate to come of age when a lot of that stuff was on my radar. So I was watching seventies American films and. And very, that was an exciting time for American filmmaking, of course, but I was, I kind of got hooked on that stuff very early. And TV, in terms of it, it taking off in a way that was, for want of a better phrase, a serious medium didn't really happen for me until The Sopranos. Okay. And that was, that to me remains the mountaintop. You know, mm-hmm. That's, mm-hmm. You know, it's incredible. I've gone back and revisited that show several times since its initial run. I feel like The Sopranos sort of exploded the form of what. Yeah. Okay. With pacing, not just with content, but the mm-hmm. how you could tell a story and the kind, the ways you can dramatize someone's inner life, okay. with dreams, and what he would divulge in the with Doctor Melfi, and mm-hmm. the character you you never had that kind of access to that inner life of a character of that kind. So that was exciting. And I think it gave way to everything from Mad Men to Breaking Bad to any number of different shows. 
So I think growing up on that, it was, Mm -hmm. it, it remains inspiring, you know? Okay. Okay. Do you think the streaming platform lends itself to better storytelling that like with the timeframes that you have, or is it, I guess you film just as quickly, but fewer episodes generally. I think what the streaming has allowed us to do, especially in the format in which we, we present on Amazon, which is all the shows are available at once. It allows us to tell a story at, at a certain pace and we don't have to be so rigidly, we don't have to rigidly adhere to commercial breaks or right. to serve up something that, oh, we have to hook them so that they come back the next week. And those uh-huh. are fine considerations. I'm not, uh-huh. I'm not minimizing those. Those can be good sort of storytelling devices or, or reflexes, but it, the streaming age just allows us almost like a novel. And I know this can yeah. sometimes overplayed, but you can, in a novel, the beauty of the story form that is the novel, you can take certain digressions and you can advance a story in a certain way that's sometimes more internal. Mm-hmm. And it's not so dependent on plot or on sort of on, you know, um, event, right? Events, yeah. Okay. I see that. And, and the streaming sense is you can, you can move the story along at a certain um, pace and you can end an episode on an emotional moment knowing that people are in, they're going to turn the page, so to speak. They're going to go to the next episode because it's available to them. And if you have them at episode two or three, they're not Mm -hmm. only going to be engaged by the mystery of what we're laying out, but by the sort of emotional journey that our characters are on too. Right. A long-winded way of saying, I do believe in the sort of cable streaming age. It's allowed us to tell probably more character-centric type of stories because people have the patience for them and the Mm -hmm. needs down and watch them now mm-hmm. so that's exciting yeah which can be really rich and fulfilling to get deeper into those personal stories for oh, sure absolutely it's a very it's an interesting it's like an intimate form of sharing yeah. thing yeah all of a sudden this person's life is in your home whether yes. it's on your computer on your device on your right. tv and they're in your home you yeah know, yeah wherever you want to be there with you yeah yeah exactly. you're there with them and that's that's what's great about storytelling but it's, a, it's such an interesting thing to be a part of now shifting to a format that will have commercials have you guys had these kind of discussions in the writer's room has it changed maybe some of the way you're going to approach things that's a great question Tracy and it, and it has and I think it's going to be a thing that we sort of evolve and learn as we mm-hmm. put our show out. Okay. But, you know, we are breaking our, our episodes right now in a, a teaser plus four act structure. Okay. okay? Uh, we still sort of think of story in terms of story days, like, oh, this happens on story day one versus story day 16 or whatever. But we are, because IMDb has some commercial breaks, we are thinking of how we develop and structure our, our stories kind of according to that. And, it, okay. and you have to start thinking, well, if these are dropping, these episodes are dropping once a week, mm-hmm. it's a different, maybe a different pace, maybe a different idea of how we go out on an episode to make mm-hmm. sure that they tune in the next time. And the thing we want to be mindful of, Eric Overmeyer, you know, our great showrunner, he's, he's, he's a brilliant writer in many respects, and he has a great feel for this stuff. And he is very averse to doing things that don't feel organic. So uh, if it feels like it's forced or it's contrived, he's allergic to that. And he has 
you know, great sensibility as does Mike, Connolly, and the rest of the staff. I'm trying to honor stories that feel like they're growing naturally and not just re- relying on something that's manufactured just to hook people in. There's something about it that feels mm-hmm. sort of dishonest dramatically about it, you know? Okay. Yeah. It'll be interesting. Very interesting. It will be. It will be. It's, it's I, exciting. It's a different challenge, you know? I have to say that the format of, of you know, if it is going to be like one per week, that does lend itself very well to podcasting because it is, it's easier to podcast and keep everybody's energy on the same episode oh, at a time, you know? No, I agree. So. I, agree. <laughs> I tell you what, in, in an age where you have sort of everything available at once, there's an upside to that. But I loved when I was watching Breaking Bad in real time, yeah. I love the fact that you had to wait a week because the oh, anticipation yeah. was part of the enjoyment of it. At least yeah. you don't know what's going to happen next. And you had to sit with it with for a week and yeah. think about it yep. and where could it go. And there was something almost ritualistic. And I mean that in the best possible sense of setting that time aside yes. on Sunday night. And yes. it was only for that show, you know? Yeah. It's and like a it's like a date. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and, and you honor that time. And that's, yes, you do. Yeah. And, and, and I also enjoy being able to just binge something, but I, my experience of a story is different when I have to wait. And mm-hmm. I like that waiting part. Yeah. It lives you with def- it a little bit longer. You definitely savor moments or you explore them at the time longer because it's so easy to binge through, but inevitably you're going to go back and rewatch and pick up other things. That's right. So you kind of absorb more, I think, when it's once a week for the, as far as the initial run yeah, of it. Yeah, you know. that's, that's well put. Yeah. So, well, you know, the fans don't always know the technical terms and the titles and the jobs, but, but we saw that you were listed as supervising producer in season six and in season seven, co-executive producer. How is that? How did that change your responsibilities? Well, my responsibilities didn't change all that much in terms of, I mean, I'm a writer on the show, so I help out with Breaking Story and Mm -hmm. uh, whatever scripts I was assigned. That didn't change all that much. Okay. My other sort of responsibility, once you're on producer track, for me was to be the onset writer-producer. So I was Mm -hmm. there every single day from you know, the moment we, we had our call to the moment mm-hmm. we wrapped, you know, four months filming the episodes and you're, you're yeah. there uh, as the writer and producer trying to, you know, collaborate with the director and the actors and all the different departments to help realize mm-hmm. the story. So it's, it's, it wasn't as much a difference between supervising and co, co-EP. It's just a different producer title, you know? Okay. You okay. Enough, so. Okay. It yeah. definitely sounds like it's moving up the chain though. <laughs> I, I guess so. <laughs> so far, it's it so looks good. good to us. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Speaking of collaboration, do you all have set times that you meet with like Mitzi and Tim, or do you call on them as needed and try to schedule visits uh, with them? With our advisors, with yes. Tim and Mitzi, mm-hmm. yeah, they're, they're an invaluable part of the process. They've been invaluable to Michael with the books and, and that sort of responsibility and has, has transferred over to the show. And we meet every day as a group as, of writers in the writer's room. And we could talk a little bit about what that is, if you'd like. But yeah. we, we typically set maybe one day a week aside for okay. them to come in and share time with us. Because we'll have a lot of questions that kind of accumulate during the week, during our own discussions. And then they're always available for phone calls okay. uh, morning, noon or night, <laughs> weekends wow. when we're working on our material. And then either Tim or Mitzi are on set on days that we need them for usually kind of tactical reasons when we're okay. shooting. 
everything to get all of that right. That's a okay. big part of the show. And, and they take that responsibility seriously. And we, and we want them there to inform all of that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay. Well, let's shift gears a little bit to some of your acting on the show. You've had this ongoing role as an FBI agent, I think Agent Needy. How did that happen? And was it was it planned that you would kind of continue this little back character? And do you have any other acting aspirations? What's what's that been like? Uh, you're being very generous by calling it <laughs> acting abilities. I'll, I'll go with that. Uh, this whole thing about Agent Needy was a complete fluke. Okay. Um, I, it's happened. It started. Agent Needy was born in uh, <laughs> two episode yeah. two, as a matter of fact. Yes. And it was a it was a episode I co-wrote with Eric Overmeyer, and I was on set that day as the writer on set to as we were filming. Okay. We were source for any questions that come up, etc. Mm-hmm. And they had cast somebody to be this FBI agent, and I can't remember now why he either showed up and. <laughs> He didn't have the right look or something, or may, he might have actually not shown up. Whatever the case would maybe it was uh-huh. like 6.30 in the morning. <laughs> we didn't have an agent to get out of this okay. car, walk into the building for Bosch and Edgar to trail them in and eventually to figure out this war room, et cetera. So one of the producers just turned to me and it was, <laughs> it was just truly, I was like 10 feet away and he was talking to the costume department and said, put Tom in a suit and have him do it. And that's how Agent Needy was was born. Okay. <laughs> and the name Agent Needy was a gift from Titus. It's a nickname I have not been able to shake. Okay. Uh, and it all comes from so so right before we're about to roll, they do this thing called last looks, where mm-hmm. hair and makeup can come in mm-hmm. and make sure everything is uh, is is a okay, right? I obviously don't have to worry about the hair department, but <laughs> so they would come in to make sure everything looked okay. And Titus thought I was like calling them in. So he's like, Oh, I uh, see you're needy. And it became agent <laughs> needy. And I have not been able to get rid of that nickname. And it's just been a joke every year. They'll sort of put me in a scene <laughs> and it all culminated, I guess, if that's the word you want to use in, in season seven, where I actually got a line of dialogue. So yes. It was a lot of fun. I had to make yeah. up a backstory about Agent Needy every year for my own self to just to okay. it. But there was always at least one scene a year and it was fun. I'm glad people. Yeah. I mean, the fans kind of watch for it now. You know, it got oh, to the point great. where is he going <laughs> to show up? And I actually talked with Patrick, Katie the other day, and we, we talked about how that the line of dialogue that you had, you know, to just keep going when the FBI pulls up alongside the station there and everything's become, you know, a dumpster fire. It was, that was a pretty epic moment, actually, you know, I mean, yeah. give yourself yeah. props there. It, it, you made oh, it work. Thank you. It thank was, you very know, much. The, the <laughs> look and then just, nope, we're getting out of here. Yeah, no, it, it played perfectly. It so was thank that, you. that is cool. Well, since you've been on set all the time with you know, working with the crew, collaborating with everyone. Is there something specific that you might attribute to having so little turnover with the crew? I've heard that everyone has mostly stayed together the whole seven seasons and and maybe transferring to the spinoff as well. Maybe you can talk about that, but what do you, what makes them, everyone want to keep working for Bosch? Good question. And it's been one of the great gifts to the show is to have that kind of continuity. Mm -hmm. And I think that when you have good leadership, both in front of the camera and, behind, and that goes from Titus being a really good number one and setting the tone, yeah. in terms of the atmosphere and everyone from Michael and, and Eric and Peter Jan and all the different department heads. When there's consistency there and there's a, a level of buy-in, people are invested 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I think folks know that they're part of something that matters and that's fun and is of quality. So people in this town, you go from show to show, you know, and, and it's a living, it's a job. You hope that you get hired onto the next sure. one. But what we were finding and we really benefited from it. And I think in some way, I want to believe it translated to on screen, just in terms of the overall feel and quality of the show is people wanted to come back. Mm-hmm. And sometimes this phrase is overused and I don't mean it in this way, but like it really did have like a friends and family type atmosphere. Sure. Yeah. And it makes a difference because you're working long hours. It's 12 mm-hmm. plus hours a day yeah. for four months and filming it under all kinds of different conditions and at different times. Sometimes you're filming at four o'clock in the morning. Sometimes you have a call. It's at six, uh, the rehearsals at 6.15 in the morning. Mm-hmm. And it makes a big difference when you go into work each day and you're with people who are fun and who like, who generally like each other mm-hmm. and it makes that sort of feeling of being in the trenches a lot easier. So that was a great blessing for the show on Bosch. And we've had a lot of people on the spinoff that have come over. Okay. And, and then there's a lot of people that were new faces too, you know, okay. some new does faces it, too. Does it create kind of a, did you develop a little bit of a shorthand among the crew? Because absolutely. they, uh, yeah, absolutely. It makes the at times much more efficient, and it, it could be just something like if you have a very experienced lighting crew, for example, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or sound, and we have to move. I mean, we're filming each episode takes you know eight, nine, sometimes ten days, but you're working. You hope to get your your pages in each day because you have to get that done. You know, it, mm-hmm. it's very expensive if it goes over, and we okay. only have X amount of months to get it done. And to deliver it to Amazon so they can put it on at the appointed time. Right. So all the way of saying when those departments have a shorthand and can move efficiently and light a scene a certain way, it, it it's tremendous. It's a big, big help. And it's it's a big reason why the show looks the way it does. And we've had yeah. a lot of good people and not just talented, but good people to be around. So we're sure. fortunate. Well, I definitely think there's a fluidity that translates on screen for the fans because there's you know uniquely different stories every year but no one says oh it there's kind of a different feel or it looked different this year you know it 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 looks very similar you know throughout the seasons with lots of you know new stories but I think it I think that must have something to do with you know having the same people work on it so yeah definitely we've heard that you've played a big role in utilizing callbacks and little easter eggs Um, actually Henrik mentioned you our dear tom that's how he referred to you because <laughs> we asked you know who who puts in who, who comes up with all these little easter eggs or callbacks you know and i know we had you know plenty more even this season but even throughout the show you know there have been little nods here and there and and he mentioned you as a person particularly associated with it is that nostalgia for you or are you a trivia guy or kind of what do you attribute that to and, or is that true is is henrik correct uh, what I think we, we've, what I enjoy when I watch something or if I read a, a really nice piece of literature is mm-hmm. sort of deliberate echoes at times. Okay. A writer will place something down and it pays off later on or it sort of circles back. It kind of gives this inner kind of um, structure and logic to things at times. And, yeah. and, and, and in a world like Bosch, where now it's 68 separate chapters to this larger story. Mm-hmm. I think there's some nice satisfaction when it's organically sort of built. It's not something we want to force yeah. on material, but when it comes up, right. you, know, you have this character that comes back or you, there's this phrase that sometimes echoes down through the, the seasons. It just sort of gives it this nice stitched together quality. 
So it's always fun to have fans respond to that and to appreciate and to pick up on it because yeah. sometimes we, we put them in there really deep and we don't expect anyone just ourselves to kind of have fun with it. And then right. when the fans pick up on it, oh my gosh, we have some very, you know, keen <laughs> observers of the show. I, God bless them. So, <laughs> Well, I think the fans, I mean, I take it back with you that the fans really do love that. And I think it gives the fans a little bit of feeling like they're part of the club kind of thing if yeah. that makes sense yeah we get yeah. that we know that you know oh that's a good point yeah, yeah. that's wonderful so it's it, it definitely adds to the experience for us so everyone uh, enjoyed the inside the writer's room segments that you had a couple of seasons um and then i think you did more of an interview format with some of the actors maybe in season five are you planning to implement that again maybe with the spinoff or does it does it take a lot of extra time to do something like that that's usually something that Amazon reaches out to us about. Oh, okay. Be interested in in doing it this way, and they always try to shake up the format a little bit each mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and so it's sort of dependent on what kind of materials they want and content. Okay. But okay. We're, we're almost always welcome to that because it allows us to get together and and to present to our fans that mm-hmm. type of insider sort of access or behind the scenes access, I should say. Sure. Yeah. I love seeing it with my favorite shows and it's there yeah. and I think it can help complement or enhance somebody's like experience of the show. Mm-hmm. So it's usually up to Amazon. And in this okay. case, to IMDB, we'll see what they want, but we're always, we're always game for it because we love, you know, sort of giving everyone that kind of access to the show. So should the fans like kind of tweet to IMDB that we like that? It, <laughs> do they need to hear that. it from us? I can tell you this, the campaign <laughs> that the fans mounted in terms of, you know, let's not end Bosch. People heard it. So, you know, in this age when you can get out there and sort of make your voice be heard on social media about certain things, it's, it's, they take notice. So they want more things like that. Then I hope someone's listening. Okay. Awesome. This is kind of a fun question. Whose idea was it to have Juan speak in season seven? And was that planned all along for like, maybe at some end point, Juan would, would speak back to one of the officers or detectives. That's a, that's a fun question. And it it was intentional. It wasn't intentional. I guess it wasn't intentional to sort of just not give him lines. It was just one of those things where Juan was like a common sight every time we went into the the show and it was wonderful. He sort of became a big part of it every year. Yeah. So we used to joke, like, you know, we have to give him a line at some point. (laughs) And when you say something, you have, you got to get paid for it. You can no longer just be a background artist. So the (laughs) economics of people having lines of dialogue page. So we wanted to make sure it was worthwhile that one, we used to joke, like maybe Juan was behind, you know, Bosch's mother's murder or something. Exactly. (laughs) There were all kinds of theories that he knew a lot. (laughs) He knows a lot. He knows a lot. So it was fun to finally give him uh, give him a line. He's a, a wonderful guy. And he was a real sport being part of the show for that that long. Well, that was awesome. Did you all just kind of agree that that should happen? Or was anybody in particular that wanted to make sure it happened? I think Eric eventually Eric, said, okay. you know, you gotta, you gotta give this guy a line. Yeah, <laughs> okay. It'd be fitting if it happens in this way. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, it, it played really well. This might be kind of a hard question, but you get to brag about yourself. What is your, what do you feel, what, what contribution to the show are you most proud of that you've made? Hmm. I think being part of the, the team on set has been maybe one of the ways I've been able to contribute consistently season to mm-hmm. season. Because what happens is, uh, you know, you're here in the writer's room at the kind of moment of conception, so to speak. Right. When the ideas are born and they're given shape and structure and they go from 
things that are discussed to being on index cards to them being part of the carded as an episode mm-hmm. then outline then to go ver- to, to, to script into various forms and drafts and revisions of that script but there's this old saying that a story is kind of told three times in film and television okay and it's written when it's filmed and when it's edited mm-hmm. so the obviously a part of the writing process, but then to be there on the day and to help collaborate with the director and with the actors and trying to realize the moments and to try to keep tonal consistency and to help the actors sort of if they're if they're tracking where their stories are going from episodes one and two to ten, mm-hmm. no one's gonna know the story better than you as the writer because you're there for the the sort of conception of it all. Right. And so to be part of that, I think I'm, you know, uh, I was very fortunate to be part of and, and proud of that. Yeah, uh, awesome. But, uh, another thing I'm very happy about is having learned under Eric Overmeyer, who's who's a yeah. mentor, and I got a real apprenticeship under him. Eric's one of the great writers in the business, and he's been working a long time, and we're really lucky to have him. Yeah. He's a very smart writer, great craftsperson, and to learn under him is mm-hmm. is great gift and I, I i feel like that'll continue to pay off but to 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 learn under I, I think he's a master because he's one of those people who doesn't believe in drawing attention to your writing which means you can do it at a high level where it's almost invisible yeah and it just it's deceptively simple but he's he's great I and mean, he's a playwright and he's a really smart guy and he brings that sensibility to this translation and this adaptation of this great world that Michael created, you know, really great. He not only has a very sort of lean, spare style, it's kind Mm -hmm. of fifty in its sensibility, but he's also very deft at subtext. So it's the things in all kinds of human interactions that are underneath what we're saying at any given time. We rarely as human beings say what we, what we really Mm -hmm. want to say, right? Good point. Yeah. (laughs) We say these other things because we have all these other different agendas going on because we want right. something from someone else and we go about it in different ways trying to get it. Yeah. And Eric is, is great at dramatizing that in subtext. It's oftentimes what remains unsaid, which is interesting. Yeah. And the audience is smart enough to lean in and get it. Mm-hmm. And that's where some of the friction and the tension of a scene can come. Sure. That from him and, and what Eric is brilliant at, he's brilliant at a lot of things, but he's very brilliant at that spare dialogue that implies and he's not into sentimentalizing anything and there's power in experiencing emotion when it is sometimes withheld Mm -hmm. okay that makes sense oh i want to cry it's something when you you cry sometimes it doesn't mean the person on screen is crying but you're feeling a certain unexpressed sadness yes and and that's just one example and he's really great at that he's really he's great at a lot of things but he's very good at that sort of deft writing yeah, and well, it makes so much sense character. when you talk about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've been and I've been a sort of I've had this great gift of being a student of it, and I you know I started mm-hmm. in season one, and I've been able to study it and learn from it. And you know, I, I I started out when I was writing on the show, I was writing very badly, <laughs> and I think I, I I know that I've sort of whatever growth I've had as a writer can be attributed to sort of being a student of his. You know, that's great. That's awesome. What are you most excited about? with the spinoff. We're not looking for spoilers or anything, of course. And I'm curious if there have been any new challenges with it that you haven't 
that are new to it, not with that you didn't have with Bosch? It's a really good question because what I'm excited about, I'm also sort of terrified about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that is, this is a whole new world. I mean, yeah. it's Bosch as a PI and it's Maddie. I'm not giving any spoilers away because I think yeah. this has been talked about in the press yeah. and in the um, sort of wake of season seven's release. But sure. Maddie's a, a first year patrol cop in 2021 Los Angeles in the LAPD. Mm -hmm. And another big part of the show will be Honey Money Chandler. Mm -hmm. And as a result of those three different worlds and those characters being in different worlds, they generate different kinds of stories, which means yeah. the stories and how the world plays out are different. Okay, and you right. don't have the same ensemble to, mm -hmm. to go to. Mm -hmm. And we were spoiled with for seven seasons. So it's exciting to break new ground and to be challenged to tell new stories with these characters and try to reveal them in different ways that we haven't seen. Right. And it's been exciting just filming for a couple of weeks and being on set and seeing that. But it's also terrifying because you look at the <laughs> the mothership, as they've been calling it, and it's you know, so successful and so wonderful. And we had such a great cast and we were able to tell all these different stories. And you're saying... That's not going to be part of it anymore. We have this new place to go, which okay. is what we're excited about, but you hope people will be able to come on board and stay with this ongoing story and buy into it, but just know it's different. You know, when okay. I, I love Breaking Bad, I'm like very passionate about that series. And what was exciting to me, it must've been terrifying to the creators is when they created Better Call Saul, which stands yeah. shoulder with Breaking Bad, but it's a very different show. I mean, you can yeah. tell in terms of its style and its sensibility. Mm -hmm. And it has the same DNA, but it's a very different show. Okay. Um, so if we can do anything remotely as good as that, then I think we're in great company. But it has those same type of both exciting things and also, oh, my gosh, I hope this works. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, I, I can I can see that. Now, would you say now that there's a Bosch canon, like if something comes up in the new series? You know, I, I know that you know the series, the original series was not always, you know, obviously not always the same as the books, you know, that's what makes it so unique is new stories, different ways to tell them. But as far as the TV world, are there, if something comes up, are you going to make sure that it, you know, follows the original story? Does that make sense? Kind of like with comics and stuff, you know, you're. I think I understand what you're saying in terms of, are we, it's not like we're leaving those seven seasons. Right. Behind. We're picking up with these characters where their lives are now and everything is informed by okay. you know what has happened before and okay. in, in one instance i won't spoil anything but in one instance while we're breaking new ground and telling new stories with with um with our characters there is one storyline that's actually carrying over from the old world that okay. we're picking up on and i hope fans are engaged by that new fans don't necessarily even have to know about it i think they can just drop mm -hmm. it and experience it mm -hmm. but there is one storyline that we're carrying over that's sort of organically came from the the other world and we'll see where that takes us this year but i could say that it's it's going to take up at least half of the season if not more Ooh, wow. I'm excited okay. about that yeah okay yeah no that that definitely kind of answers I, I didn't ask the question very well but that's kind of what i was was curious about so the last question is really just kind of a silly question we've asked everyone so far you know there's been a whole history on bosch of the horrible coffee at hollywood station you know it's just been a running theme throughout all the seasons so if you, Tom, had the opportunity to try to fix that situation and budget were not a concern, like money is not a factor, what would you do to fix the bad coffee problem at Hollywood Station? <laughs> we're getting down to the real serious questions. Now. Yeah. 
know if I was I'm prepared to answer this. <laughs> oh, this is going to sound like such an LA thing, but I have this, this neighborhood coffee shop I go to. I live in you know, sort of East Hollywood, that side of the town. And I never knew what a pour over was until I came to Los yeah. Angeles. Okay. Uh It's like I was sort of naive or whatever. But now that I I love sort of having to wait for it and that there's a process there and that Mm -hmm. it all sort of is uh, organic to the grounds and all this stuff. Yeah. Like, and it's obviously it's a nice tasting cup of coffee. So Mm -hmm. if I could relieve poor Crate and Barrel and Pearson Vega of the terrible cross that is the (laughs) Keurig cup coffees, not to speak badly about Keurig because I just had one of their cup of coffees earlier today. (laughs) good coffee it's just a running joke on our show i would say the you know over. i would bring yeah the blue bottle pour overs in for poor crate and barrel nice nice i, I love the answer and i love that everyone has had a completely different solution so far every person I'd i've talked to, to so what was the best solution that you've heard so far i would love to know oh let's see so far well michael Conley, he wasn't even, he didn't really even want to offer coffee because I guess he's a tea drinker. So yeah, he was just yeah. going to, sh- you know, you know, turn it around completely with tea. It's so. amazing to me because I can't imagine a day <laughs> without coffee. So yeah. I don't know how he does it with the tea, but he makes it work. And then uh, Natalia Castellanos, yeah. she talked about all these like fabulous Colombian grounds and just this coffee that sounded <laughs> like it tasted amazing. So I, I'd throw some of that in there too. Yeah, I'm probably going to compile a list of responses, you know, to post and maybe we'll have a vote or something. Oh, that's but yeah, great. they were, but yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll be fun to put all the ideas together. Well, thank you so much for everything and taking, being so generous with your time. My um, pleasure. Holiday. I appreciate you inviting me. This has been a fun conversation. Yeah. So well, thank well, you all the fans and thank you for putting, putting this up and, and making it for them. Oh, we love it. All right. Well, you take care and, you know, we'll be in touch about right. the spinoff and hope to talk to you some more. Anytime. Thank you. All very right. Much. God bless Thanks, you. Bye-bye. Tom. Bye. Bye.